you for the singing. That was fantastic. We should probably just close in a word of prayer, right? It was that good. I'd like to invite you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I want to get a lot out of this talk this morning. I'm kind of passionate about this. I want you to be passionate about it as well. You know, if you um, are a graduate of Scotch Plains Fanwood High School, on graduation day, we all meet up at the high school on the football field. And as tradition would have it, if you sing in the select choir or the chorus or whatever they happen to call it, those kids come out of the stands and they, they stand up on the risers and they sing this song that is so, like, um, touching and emotional to all the moms and dads at graduation. And last year at the graduation, the song that they sang, the lyrics of the song went like this. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day and the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And I'm sitting there and I think to myself, listen, this world is pretty complicated. I don't know how wonderful the world is. And if I'm honest with myself, I'm a pretty complicated person too. And we find in our lives that we try to scurry around to, to figure things out and to get relief from different things, when in reality, I'm dislocated from a holy God. And I know that only the only hope that I have is going to be found in Christ. Truth of the matter is, is that I know and I love the Lord Jesus. And I've grown up in the Christian home. But it's still... I, I still find that life is terribly complicated and I need to find myself in God's word to understand about marriage because that's kind of complicated and to understand about parenting because that's kind of complicated and understand about aging and understand about finances and understand all these things. So I'm thankful that God has given us hope and he's given us a purpose and he's left us with this, with this truth. And I want you to look at it with me this morning. The Apostle Paul is writing to a young man. His name is Timothy. Timothy is not his biological son, but Timothy is his son in the faith. And he finds Timothy in this loser of a town, if I can take liberties of saying that. It's called Lystra. And they beat Paul up so badly that they leave him for dead. And it's at that time, I think, that he refers to being caught up to the third heaven and, and writing things that are so majestic that it's not admirable to say them verbally but in this time when he's in Lystra he has the opportunity to meet Timothy Timothy's mother is Jewish and she's a believer and she is a praying mom and his grandmother is a believer her name is Lois and she's a praying grandmother but his father although he might be a good guy is not a believer and so it's Timothy sort of could make the argument that I'm sort of this misfit kind of person. I come from this loser town. My family is sort of this split family. How can God, if he's going to use me, ever want me to begin with? And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter. And so what he says here is this. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, These things I command and teach, let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them 
that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, I want you to know that the great work that God has, the great work that God is doing in my life is that he's making me more like the Lord Jesus. I do believe the Lord Jesus. I did trust him and I did receive him. But God hasn't taken me to heaven yet. Sometimes I wish that he would just take me to heaven. Sometimes I wish that I could just be, be, be in heaven, right? Uh, 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 the recycling day in, 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 um, on my street on Evergreen Avenue is on Tuesdays. And sometimes when I get up early in the morning and I'm shaving and I'm looking in the mirror, I think to myself, you know, I just assume put myself out for recycling. I just, I've sort of had it with myself. But God hasn't had it with me. The Bible says that he who has begun a good work in me, he's going to complete that work. He hasn't finished it yet. He hasn't finished it yet. He's still working on me. I'm kind of excited about that. I love that verse. And I love the verse that we quote in Romans 8, 28 that says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for who he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's work today is to conform me to be more like Jesus. It's not to make me wealthy. It's not to make me happy. It's to make me more like the Lord Jesus. That's the great work that God is doing for those who know and love the Lord Jesus today. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a young man, who ironically wants to just make a run for it. He's at this church at Ephesus that has a whole bunch of problems. They've made a hash of a lot of different things. And the Apostle Paul is going to talk to Timothy about um, things like fleeing youthful lusts. Maybe because Timothy leaned that way a bit. And he's going to talk to Timothy about not neglecting his gift. Because maybe Timothy was neglecting his gift. And he's going to talk to Timothy about teaching those who get the doctrine wrong to stand and deliver. And not making a run for it or just deciding it's too hard, it's too much, I don't know where to start. So it's, it's a very powerful and compelling letter that he is giving to Timothy. And what he says in this verse, verse number 12, he says, Let no one despise your youth. Be an example to the believers in word. Now, that's just, these, this is, these are going to be practical truths for you and for me. And I want to model myself here. I want you to see this. He says, Timothy, I want your speech. I want your speech to be a model example for believers. Our speech... Our speech can be so detrimental because we inflict wounds on others. We hurt other people by the words that we say. I'm not talking about profanity here. I'm talking about the fact that we can ruin relationships. We can ruin testimonies. We can bring chaos to where there was once harmony. We inflict wounds on one another. I don't know why we do that. But our speech is in such a way that it causes us to hurt others. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to lead by example. And I want you to start with your word or your speech. I want you to start with your word or your speech. You know, I was coming out of uh, a chapel and I was driving home. 
um, years back now, years back, right, when I was still in that transition of getting to be more like the Lord Jesus, years back I was driving home from a chapel, and I don't know where I was supposed to be, but, but I was late to the next thing. And the hustle and the bustle, and there's road rage, and I can't get to where I'm going, and the frustration starts to build, and the volcano is about to explode. And I say things that are inappropriate to the driver right in front of me. And a little head pops up from the back seat. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, another fine word from your speaker. Yeah. My son, in the back seat, your speech, it's so powerful because it's cutting, isn't it? It can be. Just take a moment with me and turn to the book of James chapter 3, where James is going to pick up on this. And he says, he talks about the tongue. And he says... In James chapter 3, these words, he says, verse 3, Indeed, we put bits in, in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member. And it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set amongst our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and, and, and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is utterly evil. It is full of deadly poison. How can I control my tongue? This is what they say to the teachers. You're just going to sort of take a little brain break. When you feel that you're going to say something that's inappropriate, I'm a teacher. So when you feel you're going to say something that's inappropriate, just step back and count to 10. Or just look out the window and try for your mind to go to some like tropical island for a few seconds. And that's going to solve all of those things. The Bible says that I can't control my tongue. I only am able to change when the Lord Jesus changes my heart. Because out of the abundance of my heart, is how the mouth is going to speak. And so how he, as he is changing me, so my words are softer words. And so my words are softer words to others. The Apostle Paul shares with Timothy, he says, I want you to set an example. And I want you to know that the tongue is where you're going to start, the words that you use. You know, if you go to a doctor's office, I think that they look at your tongue for digestive issues or your stomach or vitamin deficiencies or thyroid problems. But your tongue speaks volumes about who you are. It introduces bitter ideas. It damages the testimony of others and it can crush friends. It's only changed as the Lord Jesus changes me. My words are only softer as, because the Lord Jesus has modeled the great example to me. So I want to encourage you, all of us, as the Apostle Paul encourages Timothy, 
He says, listen, I want you to set an example, and I want you to set the example by your tongue. That's pretty good, right? That's a good takeaway. That's one of the great takeaways today. In Romans chapter 1, the apostle says this. He says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means that the Lord Jesus is angry at the things that he sees here. What is he angry at? Paul says he's angry at greed and murder and backbiters and whisperers and liars. Well, that all has to do with the tongue. It all has to do with the tongue. And so the apostle is going to encourage Timothy. He says, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to be mindful of your speech. I want you to be mindful of your speech. Okay, back to, back to Ephesians chapter 4, right? Where he says, uh, uh, sorry, sorry, back to 1 Timothy, sorry, my bad, chapter 4. So he says, let no one despise your youth, right? Just because you're a young person, don't let anyone hold you back. I guess people in the church of Ephesus were holding Timothy back. Maybe they were saying he was a novice. Or maybe they were saying that he didn't have enough experience, The apostle is saying, don't let anyone despise the fact that you're a younger man. Be an example. That's how you're going to show that that, that you've arrived. You're not going to retaliate with bitterness or resentfulness or vengefulness or unforgiveness. Be an example in word. Okay, the next one he identifies as is in conduct. I want you to be an example in your character. I want you to lead clearly. I want you to use the gifts that God has given, and I want people to see your character. Not just on Sundays. Not just because you have the opportunity to to come to the chapel and put on nice clothing and, and, and sing the lovely songs and shake hands with those who are pleasant to you. He says, your character, it speaks volumes of you. It speaks volumes of you. Your character is more important than the ministry that you participate in. And so here it is. I'm coming off the platform and I stand in the back and I'm shaking hands with different people. Nice job. Thank you. Nice job. Thank you. Praise the Lord for that brother. Have a good afternoon. And here comes this brother. He comes over. Nice job, John Butt. All right. Here it I'm going to button my buttons because nice John, job John butt means here it comes. Okay, I'm ready. Let me have it. John, you said when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall we appear with him. Mm-hmm. Yes, go on. Well, that's found not in Corinthians. And John, you said it was in Corinthians. And I said, are, are you kidding? That's... That's what you got out of this talk? I've been up here for 35 minutes, and this is your takeaway? And the whole auditorium got quiet, just like this. And it dawned on me that as I was driving home, that nobody was going to remember anything that was said here. That nobody was going to remember any any of the points or the verses, that nobody was going to remember any of that. Did you see how explosive the speaker was today after the meeting? Your character is really important, isn't it? 
Your character is even more important than your ministry, and your ministry is an important one. So the Apostle Paul is going to tell Timothy, he's going to say, look, your word is important. And then he's going to say, your conduct or your character is important. People are going to honor you and honor your life, not for the great ministry that you do, but rather for the character, because that's going to show who you are. And then Timothy identifies this. He says, I want you to set an example in love. In love. Love is the greatest determining factor in all of our Christian behavior. It's the greatest thing, Timothy. It's the highest goal. And I want people to be able to see the love that you have. Now, love doesn't produce quick results. It doesn't produce quick results. So what does it produce? Well, the first thing I'm going to suggest is that love produces approachability. It produces approachability. I want you to know that the Lord Jesus, when he was here, was approachable. Was he not? He was approachable to everyone. This morning, we remembered that he was approachable when rich when these rich magi, these rich guys came, these wise men following the star, they probably believed all in the astrology and all the rest of it from Persia, bringing these gifts. He doesn't close the door on those rich kings. The Lord Jesus was approachable to those shepherds, was he not? And he, he, allowed, them, he, he allowed them to give their gifts. He allowed them to come close. Love produces approachability. And that passage in John's Gospel, chapter 4, here's this, here's this woman, this woman who, who, who they condemn this woman. She has these five husbands, and, 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 and she goes to the well in the middle of the day, and lo and behold, he's at the well. Now listen, I know my heart, and if I was there, I would say, look, this, we can't have this. We can't have him talking to this Samaritan woman. This is going to, like, blow a hole in our... This is no good for us. This is the wrong direction for us. Why is he talking to her? But he does. He's approachable to her. And when he talks to this woman, he says to her beautiful things. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who asked you for a drink, you would ask. And he would give you living water. He would give it to you. They condemn that woman. And the Bible says that she says, give me the water. And he asks the question, go call your husband. Oh, I have no husband. How clever. I have no husband. You're right. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't your husband at all. That woman leaves that water pot, and she goes. There's no great miracle there. There's just an encounter with the Lord Jesus because he was approachable to this woman in John's Gospel, chapter 4. Love produces maturity. He confronts this woman. He confronts her in her need. Do you see that? He confronts her in her need. And love provides change. She's a changed heart because of the great encounter. And she goes. She leaves the water pot. She's a broken person. And she's going to now be somebody who's going to go into the village and she's going to have the chance to share as a Samaritan. And within a few hours, the whole village is going to know. 
Isn't this, isn't this the woman who comes to draw the water in the middle of the day? Because love produces approachability and maturity, and it produces change. And that woman in John chapter 8, who they set up, and they bring right before him that they might set him up, and they put her down, and they say, the law says she's to be stoned to death. What do you say? And he stoops down and, and writes with his finger in the ground, and they're all there with rocks in their hands. And he says, he who is without a sin, let him throw the, the stone first. And the Bible says, ironically, that they leave from the old men leave first, and then the young men leave. And he looks up and he says to the woman, who condemns you? And she says, no one, Lord. Now, she does call him the Lord. She calls him the Lord. He says these words. He says, neither then do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He doesn't condemn that woman. He does ask that she change that lifestyle. That's a beautiful thing. Love is, pro provides approachability. And love provides maturity, and love provides change. Timothy, I want you to set an example in the words that you speak. I want, not in profanity, right? We shouldn't be using profanity, right? We all know that. In the words that you speak. You can build your brother up or you can tear him down. You can do that. So can I. You have the opportunity to come alongside or you have the opportunity to walk the other way. Timothy, your conduct, your character is really important. I want you to go deep. And Timothy, the love that you show, the approachability and the maturity and the change, this is how you're going to demonstrate to those believers in Ephesus. Friends, this speaks volumes to my own heart. Volumes to my own heart of where I am and where I do need to go. But I'm very blessed and thankful that this is in here as a model example with these practical truths. And then he says this. He says, Timothy, I want you to pay attention to faith. Faith is going to show how a leader responds in crisis. Faith is going to show what you're made of. Faith is going to determine what you got how deep your faith is going to grow. In the Old Testament, the Bible gives us examples of, of the first king of Israel. His name was Saul of Kish. And when Saul of Kish was in bad shape, when there was a crisis, despair situation, he goes and he talks to a witch. That's what he does. He goes and he runs to this witch for counsel and advice. Jonathan seeks the Lord. Jonathan seeks the Lord. Jonathan wins because of it. Dear friends, faith inspires and faith commands respect. Because when there's difficulty and there's hardship, if you're a person of faith, then you're going to be able to stand and you're going to be able to look to the Lord and you're going to be able to find, Lord, I want to find hope and I want to find reasons in your things. Now, there's plenty of times in our lives, there really are, that there's confusion in this. And you might say, look, I've tried this, and I've done this, and I, I'm not quite sure I get this. And one of, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible is, is found with this John the Baptist character. 
He's really a, a very unique and interesting person to me. He, 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 he's never had a haircut, and he wears this crazy belt, and he has a, <laughs> a very interesting diet. And he preaches out in the wilderness that the coming of the king is, the coming of the king is going to happen. The coming of Messiah is going to happen. And, and, and guys even come out to listen to him speak. And instead of saying, oh, that's very nice of you to come out and hear me, he says to them, you brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? When the king comes, you're cooked. That's pretty much his message. And in the town, King Herod has this adulterous relationship with his brother Philip's wife. And there's only one guy who stands up and says, you can't do that and be the king. And King Herod takes John the Baptist and he puts him in prison. And he's on death row. And John the Baptist sits in prison and he says, look, I don't really get this. I'm not really sure why am I on death row here for doing the right thing. I, I did all of the right thing. I, I'm stepping through all of these things. Why am I the one who's in prison? There's confusion in that. And if I'm honest with myself, there's confusion in, in, in Christianity in my, in my patterns too. Lord, I, I, I didn't exactly expect this was going to happen here today like this. This was not in my plan anyway, at least. And John the Baptist says to his friends, come and visit him. And he says, you've got to get this message to Jesus. I want you to take this message. I want you to write it and deliver it to Jesus. What's the message say? Does it say, bust me out of here and put King Herod in jail? Is that what it says? Does it say, look, you know, no. The message says, are you the coming one? Or am I supposed to look for somebody else? Are you the coming one? See, if the Lord Jesus is the coming one, then I, I can understand parenting. I really can. And I can understand marriage and, and, and I can understand work and I can understand relationships and I can understand myself and I can understand a lot of the confusion that's all around if he's the coming one. If he's not the coming one, then the, then the quest continues for me anyway. And the message comes back. Jesus says, you go tell John the things that you hear and the things that you see. Deaf people hear again and lame people walk and dead people are raised, and blind people see, and the gospel is preached to the poor. And that message comes back. John, you're never going to get out of this prison, but I want you to know I am the coming one, and this all does make sense. Now, that's a comfort to me. It really is. It really is. So, Timothy, I want you to grow in word and in conduct. I want you to grow in love and in faith, Timothy, I want you to grow in purity. I want you to grow in purity. Well, we could talk a lot about that, a lot about purity. And I guess in my life, the question would be, are the things that I do, is that, John, a lifestyle? Or is that a blunder? Is it a lifestyle? Or is it a blunder? As far as the, the, the choices that you make. Lord, I want those things to be blunders. I don't want to live an impure life before you. I don't want to do that, Lord. 
I, I, I lean certain ways, Lord, and I, I struggle with certain things, Lord, and I want to be open and honest with you about these things, Lord, but I want those things to be a blunder and not a lifestyle. I want to live this life that you identify as a pure life. He says, till I come, give attention, verse 13, to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now, these are, these are three, three different things. The reading, the reading means that I want the word of God to have the central place. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, when the Bible was read, the people would stand and the, the, the teacher would sit down. We have it just the opposite in school today. We have it just the opposite. In, in the book of Nehemiah, the, the people came out to hear the reading of the law. The people stood, and, and it was Ezra who sat. And the Bible tells us in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, that at the synagogue, that, that as his custom, he comes to the synagogue. There, the whole thing, there must have been so many things that were backwards and wrong, yet as his custom, he was there. He was there as his custom. It, he, he's given this scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And the Bible tells us that he reads from the prophet Isaiah. And what he reads, the Bible says, is, is the acceptable year of the Lord. He reads that passage about the coming of God's king, the acceptable year and the day of vengeance. But after the acceptable year portion, he closes the scroll. He gives it back to the attendant, and he says that the scripture is fulfilled in your midst. The reading, he says to Timothy, I want there to be, to be honor when it comes to, 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 to the reading of God's word. And then he says, he says uh, not just the reading, Timothy, but I, I want you to give response to the exhortation. This one's hard. Exhortation is going to imply you're going to, give, you're going to give attention to this and you're going to change because of this. It's much easier to read it than to receive it and to change with it. Timothy, I want you to give careful attention to the exhortation. It means that, that people are going to apply these truths to their life. They're not just going to listen to these truths, but they're going to apply these truths to their life. I want you to give special attention to the doctrine, right? To the doctrine. I want you to rightly divide this word. I don't want you to just speak about a couple things that are pleasant for you to hear. I want you to give attention to all of it, to all of it, the systematic teaching. Timothy, it's not about the speaker's stories or tricks or experiences or trips. It's about the teaching that's found only in the word of God. I want you to pay careful attention to this. And then in these last few minutes, he says in verse 14, he says, I want you to pay careful attention and do not neglect the gift that is in you. Now, this is a little bit of a stickler for me. I get a little bit fired up with this. When you came, if you've come to the Lord Jesus, and I pray that you have, you know, maybe we could just pause and say, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, I want you to know, I want you to know that he came as God's gift. And I want you to know that there's salvation in his name. And I want you to know that we live in a day of grace. Yeah. If you've come to the Lord Jesus, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God has given you a gift. 
Now, you can read about those gifts in Corinthians, you can. He says to Timothy, I don't want you to neglect the gift that is given to you. I don't want you to neglect this gift. Maybe Timothy was doing that. God has given you a spiritual gift. Can I ask you this honestly? Would you know what that is? Do you know that I've heard conversations of people saying, well, you know, my gift is sort of this, this nothing gift. It's kind of an insignificant gift, as if the Lord Jesus gives insignificant gifts. The gift is given that you might encourage and that you might build up this local body and other believers. God has given you a gift. Well, I'm hiding my gift. You know, one day I'll use it. Listen, don't bury your gift. God's given it to you to use your gift. And if you would say, John, I don't really know what my gift is. You know, I'm not sure. Then I would challenge you. Then you should really call the leaders of this church and help them unpack that for you. Your gift is needed. It's vital. It's vital so that others can grow and others can benefit and others have the opportunity to see how beautiful the Lord Jesus is. There's things that you can do that only you can do. Don't neglect, neglect the gift that is given to you. He says that to Timothy. And friends, if he says it to Timothy, then he might as well be saying it to us because Timothy was neglecting this gift. You know, the, the Bible is, is even going to identify some of that in, in following chapters. So he says, do not neglect the gift that is, that is given to you. Don't neglect that gift. Would you know what that gift is? Would you be using that gift effectively or at all? Or do you find that you're just sort of marking time and I'm, I'm just sort of running out the clock and I'm just sort of, you know, passing through? Mm -mm. Now, as long as you're here, I'd encourage you to stir up the gift. It doesn't say, by the way, to choose the gift. It says you stir up the gift that is given to you for the edification of believers so that you might be a blessing to others. This is, this, is, um, this, is, this is beautiful instruction. It's beautiful instruction for all of us. It's beautiful instruction that Paul shares with Timothy. It's beautiful instruction that the Spirit shares with us today. Praise the Lord as we move through the, the, the Thanksgiving season and as we move through to, the, to, the, to this Christmas season and, 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 and we're able to just pause and reflect and see the great gift, the great gift that is found in God's lovely son and to see that he hasn't closed the door on me and that he's not finished with me. That's a real encouragement to my heart this morning. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your lovely son. We thank you that your word says that he who has begun a, a good work in you, he's gonna finish that work. I, I, I claim that promise, Lord, for us today. And I know that, that um, many of us could be struggling with, with a whole host of things. I know that. And I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in all of our hearts and that we would use these practical truths of speech and of conduct and of love and of faith and of purity and that we would stir the gift that is given so that we might be an encouragement to others. For we ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen.